You're listening to Photographs, Pistols, and Parasols. Support for this project is provided by listeners like you. Visit my website at p3photographers.net for ideas on how you too can become a supporter of the project. Welcome to Photographs, Pistols, and Parasols, the podcast where we celebrate early women artisan photographers. I'm your host, Lee McIntyre. In today's episode, we're going to meet Delia B. Rich Miracle, a successful photographer from Emporia, Kansas, in the late 1800s, who had an intriguing encounter with a woman who became notorious as the Black Widow of Kansas. For more information about any of the women discussed in today's episode, visit my website at p3photographers.net. That's letter P, number three, photographers.net. Hi, everybody. Today, we're back in Kansas to learn the story of Delia Rich Miracle, a woman who ran a photography studio in Emporia, Kansas in the 1880s and early 1890s. Her story is intriguing, not just for her own accomplishments, but also for the unusual twist that brings her in touch with a woman accused of poisoning. But first, let's focus on the story of Delia Rich, the photographer in Emporia, Kansas. Actually, when she was doing photography, she billed herself as D.B. Rich. That's the initials, the letter D, the letter B, and Rich. Her first name at that time, she was Delia, but later in life, she actually reverts back to her full first name, which was Cordelia. Now, Cordelia Rich was one of eight children born to a Quaker family in Indiana in the 1850s. The family moves to Kansas, at first Lawrence, and then after a couple of years, they wind up in Emporia, Kansas. Now, it's there that a young teenage Cordelia Rich asks her mother for a new calico dress. But as she later explains, her mother said that there wasn't money. I mean, the family had arrived in Emporia, Kansas, with just a dollar in their pocket. So Delia is encouraged by her mother to go out and get a job if she wants to get a new calico dress. So she takes herself off to the local photographer, a man by the name of Page, and asks to be hired as his apprentice. Now, Mr. Page had not intended to hire a girl for this position, and he tells her initially that she's going to have to work for free for three months in order to prove herself. But fate intervenes with a visiting photographer who's in the store and suggests to Mr. Page that he hire Cordelia Rich to be his assistant because she looks strong, healthy, and intelligent. Fast forward a few years, and Delia Rich, as she's now known, is the assistant of Mr. Page, and she's billed as that in newspapers and also in the directory in Emporia, Kansas at that time. Interestingly, in 1880, Although she is working for Mr. Page at the studio, she has been for a few years at that point, she's still living at home with her parents, and she doesn't list an occupation in the census. But in any case, Dilly Rich, or as she's professionally known, D.B. Rich, uh, is having success working for Mr. Page. Then another photography studio was run by two gentlemen. Um, Well, that studio is going to undergo some changes when one of the gentlemen uh, leaves town. Delia has saved up her money working for Mr. Page, and she's got the $300 necessary to buy into the studio run by a Mr. Waite. Mr. Waite and Delia Rich running the studio of Waite and Rich are very successful, 
And after a couple of years, when another studio comes open, Mr. Waite encourages Delia to buy the other studio so that they can basically not have competition because they're working well together. So she does uh, open a new studio on her own and bills it as D.B. Rich and Company. A couple years later, Mr. Waite retires and D.B. Rich buys out his portion of the studio they run together. So D.B. Rich has really settled in Emporia and been very successful for about 10 years at this point. So she's running the studio all on her own there in Emporia once Mr. Waite has retired. She's advertising in the newspapers, as we've seen with so many photographers in that period. She's advertising tintype. She's, adver- she's advertising specials on cabinet cards. She advertises at one point that her specialty is baby pictures. So she's really going strong as a photographer. And we can track her in the newspapers and her career right up until 1892, specifically September of 1892, when she sells her studio. Why? Well, she's about to get married. A man in town, John L. Miracle, recently has lost his wife. And in October of 1892, John L. Miracle marries Delia B. Rich. After their marriage, Delia B. Rich gives up her studio, and they seem to go into business maybe doing groceries for a while, maybe running a little store, maybe working for others. It's not exactly clear from the newspaper clippings that we found what exactly they're doing. In the 1895 census, as well as the 1900 census, they're both working, but neither in a studio. And it's just interesting to see that throughout the the early 1900s, D.B. Rich is working with her husband. And then when her husband becomes ill, she actually is not working for herself, but working to support the family somehow. John L. Miracle sadly dies in 1910. And after that, Mrs. D.B. Miracle shows up in the newspapers because she's very prominent in town. She's active in several organizations. She turns up at one point where she wins the raffle for a new gold watch at the jewelers, but she's doing a lot of good works. She's also apparently either because she needs the money or because she's just really interested in photography again. She turns up in the 1920 census working for another photographer as a retoucher. The retouching she had actually learned back when she was working for Mr. Page and his gallery back in the late 1870s and early 1880s. That's the kind of work that she later describes as the thing that she did the most in those early days. Now, when I say she describes this, we have the advantage of having a big interview that's published in the Emporia newspaper. I love the fact that in 1928, the newspaper, the Emporia Gazette, decided to interview Mrs. Cordelia B. Rich Miracle, about her career as a photographer. She hadn't been a photographer running a studio for many years at that point, but she was still active, as I said, in 1920. She's in the census as actually working as a retoucher for someone else. So what I love about this interview is that Mrs. Miracle, as she's known then, describes some of the aspects of working in a photo gallery in the 1870s and 1880s, describing some of the processes of the photography itself and also things that she did and how she ran a business at that time. So I want to just read you from this article little bits and pieces. Now, the first anecdote is from when she started working in Page's photograph gallery, and she was assigned as an apprentice to do a very important job. Let me explain by just quoting from the article. 
One errand the new apprentice did every morning was to go to the home of Mrs. Tyler Johnson, Fifth the Merchant, where each day she bought a fresh egg for five cents. With the egg, albumen was made fresh every day to coat the glass for the wet plate process in making pictures. Tintypes also were made in the page gallery, four on a plate, and on these Mrs. Miracle got her first lessons in photography. With a small brush, she was taught to apply the red coloring, like rouge, to the cheeks and lips of the tintype pictures, much as girls and women today apply it. Next, she learned to spread varnish over the rouge, and it was something of an art to hold the tintypes at the exact angle by which the varnish was prevented from streaking the faces. Then the pictures were cut apart and put into paper cases. Let me just stop it there for a moment. Now, it's really interesting to hear somebody talking about that wet plate process. I talked about it a little bit back in the episode about Elizabeth Withington, who figured out how to do wet plate photography out in a field without a portable darkroom wagon. Mrs. Miracle, who was at that time Miss Rich, was working as the apprentice and learning how to do it by first just learning how to coat those wet plates with the necessary materials, including the egg, to actually allow the wet plate to be used for photography. That description of her with the small brush applying the rouge, you can go into antique stores and actually see some of the tintypes with that kind of rouge and sort of painting applied on it. That was typical of what's called retouching work. And when I said that Mrs. Miracle became a retoucher for another photography gallery around 1920, that's the kind of work she would have been doing, except because the photography technology has changed at that point, she was no longer working with tintypes but with more paper type of photos. All right, let me read you a little bit more about what happened later. Again, quoting from that 1928 article in the Emporia Gazette. Later, Mrs. Miracle continued, came the dry plate process, and then we did not have to coat our plates every day. The dry plate came ready to use, done up in half dozen and dozen packages. So we began using Eastman dry plates. I was fascinated with the business and thought of little else. My mother said, all I knew was the photography gallery, and I lost all the slight interest I once had in washing dishes and making beds. I especially enjoyed making baby pictures and wedding pictures. I know grandparents today whose baby pictures I made. I stayed at the page gallery eight years and was receiving $3 a week when I quit. Each year, I had got a 50 cent or a dollar a week raise. I had saved money, had taken four shares in Howard Dunlap's Loan Association, and when I began earning $3 a week, I put $1 in the loan each week. At the end of eight years, I had saved $300. I decided to buy into the weight gallery as Mr. Willett, one of the owners, was offering his half interest for $700. I drew my $400 out and paid it on the business, and for the remainder I gave my note with payments to be made each month. By sacrifice and self-denial, I had that $400 paid at the end of the first year. I made far more than $8 a week, and my self-denial paid big returns. Mr. Waite was an excellent photographer. He had come here from Hartford, Connecticut, and he took great pains in teaching me. My work improved rapidly, especially in retouching. So really intrigued by Mrs. Miracle's description of her 
introduction to the business and how she prospered and was able to save money and buy an interest in an actual gallery and leave Paige's gallery where she was an assistant. It gives us a glimpse into how much people were making, even as an assistant. And so she was making $3 a week at the end there. Um, That was the most she was making, but she was able to save a dollar a week. I think she was probably still living with her parents at that time. But she's prospering as a photographer. And when she gets a chance, she's saving her money and she buys into the business. And then she's actually able to pay off the loan that she takes out within uh, less than a year because she is so successful. I also like that it gives us a glimpse into this Mr. Waite, who was the photographer who had had another partner and then uh, has Miss Rich buy into his business and is assisting her and helping her become successful. He actually must have been very impressed with her because of what happens next. Let me just read you a little more from that article in 1928. Mrs. Miracle is still explaining about her business. And she says, quote, When the new gallery was built in the J. Opera House block, corner of Fifth and Commercial, over the Palace Clothing Store, Mr. Waite suggested that I rent the new gallery and run a business of my own, thus keeping out undesirable competition. Already there were four galleries in Emporia, Pages, Waites, Stowe's, and Hickok's, and mine made the fifth. It's really interesting that Waite thought enough of her skills that she could run a studio on her own, She goes on to have reminiscence of the first wedding picture she took, um, really remembering about the people she took the pictures of. I mean, Emporia is a small town in Kansas, but not super small, but big enough to support five photography galleries there in the 1880s. But she remembers the people that she took pictures of, and she says that she sees grandparents that she took pictures of when they were children. It's rare that there are these interviews with these early women photographers where they are reminiscing about their career, and so it's a real treat to run across this interview with Mrs. Delia Rich Miracle in December of 1928, where she is looking back at her career. Mrs. Miracle goes on to live another eight years. She dies in Emporia, Kansas in 1936. Her photography career was at least from 1877 to 1892, and it's hard to say exactly how often she was working as a retoucher after her marriage. Certainly, she doesn't show up in the directories as ever having a profession, even after her husband dies, but we do see her in the census in 1920 as a retoucher. All right, so that's the story of Mrs. Delia B. Rich Miracle. But here's the thing. That interview in 1928, where Mrs. Miracle remembers so many of the people she took photos of, does not mention a woman who was a notorious woman in Kansas around 1885. And Miss Rich was actually somewhat, I wouldn't say notorious, but certainly very well known for having taken a picture of this notorious woman. Now, the woman who was the subject of the photo is a woman named Minnie Walkup. I mentioned Minnie Walkup last time because Minnie Walkup met Frankie Morris, the subject of the last podcast episode, when the two of them were introduced to each other in court. This was during the trial of Minnie Walkup. Minnie Walkup had been married to a mayor of Emporia who was 30 years her senior. They'd had a 
well, we'll call it as a whirlwind romance in New Orleans, where Minnie was from. Minnie and her husband come back to Emporia, and less than a month later, her husband is dead from arsenic poisoning. And Minnie, who is 16 at the time, is accused of his murder. So Frankie Morris actually had a lawyer who goes to the trial to be the lawyer for Minnie Walkup. So the lawyer brings Frankie Morris to meet Minnie Walkup while Minnie is actually on trial. This is, as I mentioned last time, a cause celeb in the newspapers. What was at that point a convicted murderer, uh, although the murder conviction had been just overturned in August of 1885. But when Frankie Morris and Minnie Walkup meet in Emporia in September of 1885, Frankie Morris is still thought to maybe have been the murderer of her mother. There were people who supported Frankie. There were people who thought she was probably guilty. And at that point in September of 1885, she was facing a new trial around November and December of that year. But while she's out on bail in September, her lawyer, who was also Minnie Walkup's lawyer, brings Frankie to Emporia to meet and chat with Minnie Walkup. So that is something that was really remarkable to realize that Minnie Walkup and Frankie Morris, two accused poisoners, were actually brought together by their joint attorney there in Kansas in 1885. Now, Minnie Walkup, uh, as I said, she's accused of the arsenic poisoning of her husband. And I hesitated to say that Frankie Morris's trial was really the trial of the century, which, you know, is covered in all the papers in the summer of 1885. But it was quickly pushed to the background because now we had a 16-year-old, very pretty widow who was accused of murdering her 49-year-old husband. That, that was the trial of the century because the headlines were just outstanding. I mean... They didn't let any stone be unturned to write up within a short period of time. I mean, the husband dies in August of 1885. Minnie is arrested in September of 1885. The trial starts and continues until November of 1885. So it's just a couple-month period. But there are headlines in the papers and transcripts of the testimony. And, I mean, it's just incredible. On both sides, you've got each side claiming that either Minnie Walkup is a calculating murderer or you've got she's a poor, innocent victim of circumstance whose husband tragically died. There are uh, accusations of prostitution because the, the defense claims that Mr. Walkup, who was seen as a very upstanding citizen in Emporia, well, that he actually had the secret life where he was going to houses of ill repute in New Orleans, and he would stay in a boarding house, which was not a house of ill repute, of course, the defense would claim. Um, and that's when he met Minnie's mother, who ran a boarding house. And Minnie was just this young, innocent thing. And the mayor of Emporia fell in love with Minnie. And, you know, sparks flew. They got married. And then it was just a tragic, tragic coincidence that he happened to die of arsenic poisoning a month after they got married. Okay, so, I mean, let me just read you one of the headlines before the trial started is, Who Murdered Walkup? That's the headline in the Ottawa, Kansas Daily Republic on August 26, 1885. And so they speculate that maybe it was his beautiful young woman who was so recently made his wife, or was it the jealous negress in Topeka, Kansas, upon whom he had formerly bestowed his favors? 
And then the headlines claim that her relatives are coming to her defense or the dead husband's relatives are trying to have her hang for murder. It just goes on and on. I mean, the twists and turns are really amazing. And there's been a book recently written about this. Um, It's called The Adventurous, Murder, Blackmail, and Confidence Games in the Gilded Age. It's by a woman named Virginia A. McConnell. And I highly recommend it because it is really remarkable, all the twists and turns in the Minnie Walkup case. Now, ultimately, Minnie Walkup takes a stand. She is a very pretty young woman. And the jury is swayed by how vulnerable and young she seems. So despite evidence, which the prosecution feels really makes their case, things like she actually bought strychnine about a month before her husband died, and her husband became sick the next day from strychnine poisoning, just coincidence. And then she was seen buying arsenic, and her husband died of arsenic poisoning. But again, just coincidence. So anyway, despite that evidence, in the end, the jury votes that she is not guilty. So she is acquitted of everything. And again, the papers just have a field day. Now, there are some papers in Kansas who were fervently her supporters, and there are some papers who are fervently not her supporters. And Virginia McConnell's book lays that all out and tells you more about all the ins and outs of the coverage of this trial. So as I said, she is acquitted in November, and the next day she wants to get her picture taken. Now her detractors say it's because she wants to basically keep her name in the papers. She likes publicity and that kind of thing. Her defenders say, no, 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 she just wanted to get her picture taken to send to her supporters so that they would see how well she was doing. So let me just read you a passage from Virginia McConnell's book. This is describing the events after the acquittal. Quote, The next day, Minnie and the Jays, father and daughter, drove downtown while Minnie, dressed up in a blue serge dress with scarlet trimmings and a white veil over her small round hat, parentheses, no widow's weeds for her, called on some of the people who had remained loyal to her and had her portrait taken at Delia Rich's studio. She ordered two dozen for herself and told Delia she could make copies available for anyone who wanted them. When people stared at her, she stared right back. So this mention of Minnie Walkup getting her picture taken at Delia Rich's studio was actually my first introduction to the incredible tale of Minnie Walkup. My husband and I had bought a cabinet card labeled D.B. Rich of a, of a young man, and it was in researching D.B. Rich, the photographer in Emporia, Kansas, that we stumbled on this story about Minnie Walkup and the photo that D.B. Rich took of her. There was actually a notice in the newspaper after that picture is taken in November of 1885, and it's like a little notice taken out by Delia B. Rich and Company, which was the name of D.B. Rich's studio during this period. So the notice in the newspaper reads, To the Editor, You and others published a statement that Mrs. Walkup was to receive a royalty upon all the photographs of her that were sold. Mrs. Walkup ordered two dozen photographs for herself, which she paid for, and then at my solicitation, and for my benefit only, and that's emphasized in the notice, and for my benefit only, kindly consented to my furnishing to them any pictures that might be required. Please, in justice to the lady, publish the statement. 
And again, it's signed Delia B. Rich and Company. And the phrase, for my benefit only, is actually emphasized in italic in the notice. So it's really intriguing. I mean, apparently, D.B. Rich's studio was actually selling this photograph of Minnie Walkup for profit, like selling a celebrity photo. But in this case, the celebrity was the recently acquitted young widow of uh, the former mayor of Emporia. Now, after all this happens, anyone who is actually supporting Minnie Walkup started to turn against her. I mean, again, I'm going to refer you to Virginia McConnell's book about Minnie Walkup because it's just hard to describe all the twists and turns, including the moment a couple months later when Minnie Walkup claims to be pregnant with her late husband's child. One of the interesting things about these trials in the 1800s is that they're in such a compressed time frame. They don't wait years to have the trial. The trials happen right away. So again, Mr. Walkup died in August of 1885. And so Minnie Walkup claiming that she's pregnant in December and it's by her husband, that initially is seen as maybe yes, maybe no, but ultimately people are very suspicious. And I'm just, it's incredible. People come out of the woodwork saying that they've actually slept with her during the trial, snuck into the jail, on and on. Well, you get the idea. Now, one of the reasons I think Virginia McConnell actually wrote about Minnie Walkup is because her story continues after Emporia. She ultimately is married several more times, and all of her husbands seem to die of poisoning, just coincidentally. She's known in some circles as the Black Widow of Kansas. Minnie Walkup was not a photographer, but she had this intriguing intersection with Delia B. Rich, who was a photographer and a very successful photographer starting from a young age as a teenager and working up into her 30s when she gets married and gives up photography, at least gives up her studio, but seems to always keep her hand in doing retouching. The odd coincidence then of running across Minnie Walkup in the story of Delia B. Rich and then running across Frankie Morris and her photography career under her married name of Mrs. F.M. Hurd, well, it was just too good to pass up to bring you these two stories back to back. I really want to thank the Lyon County Historical Society Museum for giving me permission to bring you that picture of Minnie Walkup taken by Delia B. Rich and Company. I, this is exciting to discover the actual photograph there and to see it in the Lyon County Museum. I really want to thank the wonderful people at the museum for also working with me to try to find as much as we could in the directories and other newspaper clippings about both Minnie Walkup and Dilly B. Rich, and also John Miracle, Dilly B. Rich's husband. I'll put the links to the Lyon County Historical Museum's website, as well as a link for The Adventurous by Virginia A. McConnell, on the episode notes for this episode, which, as always, will be on my website at p3photographers.net. If you have any questions about any of the people I talked about today or anyone else here on the podcast, drop me an email at podcast at p3photographers.net. And remember... You can always follow Photographs, Pistols, and Parasols on Facebook at facebook.com slash p3photographers. Well, that's it for today about Dilly B. Rich 
and her connection to the notorious Minnie Walkup, and also, of course, the connection to Frankie Morris, a.k.a. Mrs. F.M. Heard, and her poisoning tale in the last episode. Next time, I can't promise to bring you another story about a poisoning, but I can promise another intriguing story about an early woman photographer. But until next time, I'm Lee, and this is Photographs, Pistols, and Parasols.